You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Okay, welcome golfers to the 10th episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Uh, I'm super excited today to have a special guest, Dr. Brett McCabe. He is a uh, high-performance psychology expert. He's worked with uh, many top golfers all over the world and other sports. Um, He had a great career himself, and uh, I'm super excited to speak to him because I've learned a lot from him over the past few years on podcasts and and things that he does. So um, I'm super excited to get into it. So, uh, yeah, welcome, Brett. Hey, thanks for having me, and I appreciate you. I'm looking at my background here and realizing that I got some more work to do. We, we closed our office a week and a half ago, moved back into the house, and we're in a temporary house right now. So I'm looking around thinking, I got to clean up a little bit of this, but I'm not finished with my office yet. So, no, so uh, no ignore no. the background noise. <laughs> okay, well, all is good. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, Brett, just give us a, um, how's the sort of last 12 weeks of COVID been for you? You've been, uh, been doing okay? Yeah, you know, I've been doing fine. When this started, I I was on the range at the Players' Championship with um, one of my players. And, you know, we had been seeing the news reports coming out. We've been studying it for a while. One of my dear friends is a is a prominent physician. One of my other dear friends is a CEO of a large company. And we've been watching it for a couple of weeks. My physician buddy had been kind of watching it from a perspective of the the medical spread. And then my other buddy was looking at it from a financial impact. So we've been studying it for a little while. We knew something was going to happen. Nowhere in our mind did we think that it would come to the nature that we saw the spread of it as well as the reaction to it. I mean, I think this is completely unprecedented on both sides. Um, But as a clinical psychologist, my training is in the interplay and the interaction and how our minds work with medical and psychological conditions kind of working together. So for me, it was a kind of a return back to my training and my core of what I do professionally. And so I use this time to get out in front and to educate coaches, parents, players on how do we cope with stress? How do we cope with um, the psychological uncertainty? Um, and, you know, it was, it was not something that I wanted to have to do, right? Um, but yeah. I felt that it was a very nice, I don't want to say calling for me, but it was a very nice perspective for me to return to my roots. And that was nice. And, and it allowed me to launch um, a new platform. Um, where we've been able to really work in in concert and helping coaches become better catalysts. So uh, uh, an online training, which is live coaching with me every week um, in a coaching mechanism, which has been great because I haven't been traveling. So I've been able to devote a lot of time to it and be very present with it. Uh, the, the greatness of it is, you know, trying to take the circumstances we're in and make the most of it. Um, you know, the it's a great, the unfortunate thing about COVID is, it's a great example to where we struggle in our life. And when we focus on things we can't control, it tends to rob us of our energy and our focus. So the best thing that we can always do is turn what we can control to the challenge that's in front of us and, and chop away at it, that perspective. And with COVID, that's what I tried to do. I couldn't focus. I couldn't focus on the fact that I lost two thirds of my revenue. I couldn't focus on the fact that I wasn't traveling. I could instead, I looked at it and said, well, I have more time than I've ever had. I closed my office because I didn't need the overhead. Um, business has grown during this time. I mean, I'm thankful for that, but I just tried to take it and say, what can I do? And I think it, I gave me a really nice chance to say, Hey, these are some things that I've wanted to do for a while that I haven't felt like I've had the time really the energy or, or I was afraid to venture out into uncertainty. Well, I'm facing uncertainty every day. So what do I have to lose at this point? So that's, that's kind of what I've done. It's great to hear that you've, uh, 
you know, expanded your business and sort of took it, took it as an opportunity, really not, not obviously it's obviously the place of the world is not, it's not fantastic. And it's very sad in many ways, but you've, you've looked at it as an opportunity and um, with that growth mindset, you're, you're still growing. So uh, that's it. That's exciting to hear. Well, and I think, I, I th- and I appreciate that. I think the, the cool thing that we've had to do is 9-11 challenged the way that we travel, the security that we have in our country and worldwide. Um, you know, I know people in other parts of the world live in a little bit more uncertainty of human security than what we've, we, we've lived in a pretty false bubble here in the United States for a long time. 9-11 shifted that. Well, I think COVID has done the same thing for us. Um, but from a population standpoint of, how do we communicate? What are the new forms and ventures? And I think, um, you know, the, the scary thing that I've seen through this as coaches is that the two areas that we cope the best as people is we cope with accomplishment. We, we have a goal driven activity where we're working towards something <clears throat> and our social interactions. COVID, COVID attacked both of those. We, we took people out of their achievement stratus. You know, we take athletes and said, hey, go sit on the side. As we're recording this, the PGA Tour is starting back up this week. This has been 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is. Um, truly remarkable to think about, oh, longer than that. Truly remarkable to think about how we, we saw the cancellation of the number of events and we just completely stopped progress towards things. We, we saw the world shift. We took kids out of school. We, you know, you've seen businesses shift. And, but in every challenge and every uncertainty, great innovation happens. And so you're going to see the long-term effect of how things are shifting. I, I've seen a lot of coaches shift to online platforms and get more comfortable in front of the camera and communicating in more effective means. That's a benefit. Um, they've, they've looked at their client list and realized I need to be much more present with my clients versus you showing up at my shop every week. And, you know, I also need to be a person. I need to, it's okay to say I'm really struggling or I need your help or I just want to hang. I mean, for us in the United States, we were able to return to eating out and eating in restaurants a couple weeks ago. The joy of going back into a restaurant and having somebody cook for you and have that fun social experience was great. And so I think we've gone back to taking advantage of some of that joy a little bit better. What was the first thing you had in the, uh, the restaurant? Uh, there's a, so I'm from South Louisiana originally, and uh, there's a Cajun restaurant right around the corner from me here um, that is from my hometown. And so we went in there um, and I don't remember what I actually ate. It was just, it was weird because, you know, the, 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 the waiters are wearing masks and gloves and, uh, you know, they don't put the salt on the table anymore. You're slowly starting to see that kind of relax back out a little bit. Um, but a couple of days later, we celebrated the birthday of one of my daughters and we went to a really fine steakhouse and that was nice. You know, it was nice to, you know, I can throw a steak on the grill, but you can't do it like they do it. Definitely not. I can't yeah. wait uh, in the UK, you know, for a pub to open and go for a nice beer in, in a pub and same sort of thing. Yeah. We, <laughs> we were fortunate enough here that our golf course and we have 36 holes and we have two different clubhouses within the same subdivision uh, neighborhood. It didn't close. And so oh. the restaurants closed, but we were able to hang out on the back deck as long as we were isolated. And a lot of the, a lot of the families stayed kind of close together. We would have neighborhood parties where you'd stay on your driveway and you'd still be distanced, but it gave us that, that community feel um, but we didn't, they didn't take away golf and they looked at golf as exercise here. And it was nice because, um, 
our club saw a tremendous spike in play, but it was perfect because it was during our spring when the weather was great and everybody wanted to be outside. And I tell you what, if I really give credit to our leadership um, and I think that the, the joy of being able to go out and play and have some as a nice coping was wonderful. So that was the best part. It's interesting. I was listening to a, um, a podcast of yours that you did a few weeks ago with uh, Brittany Wagner. Yeah. Um, and I watched the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Netflix series, uh, last chance you about three, four weeks ago. And, um, I, I really sort of, you know, loved her. And then I, I sort of did a bit of a Google and search and saw she went into what she's gone into. Um, is, just tell me about that interview and what was the, what was the sort of, what did you, what have you learned from her over, I don't know how well you know her, but obviously that podcast. Yeah. Other times she's a cool dude. So when I watched last chance, you, what I loved about the fact was how they profiled her. And the story of last chance, you was kind of started because a, um, an article was written about her in a national trade magazine a while back and her commitment and work with um, student athletes who were going to a community college in rural, rural Mississippi um, as a last chance rebound to go to a bigger college. And in the United States, you can go to a two-year junior college to then transfer to a four-year. And what, what I, what I was struck by was many of the kids that were in her domain came from very disadvantaged populations, didn't have many of the skills necessary for academic success. And she was so committed to each and every athlete there and was hard on them, but also non-judgmental. And she became a very strong caregiver and support rod for a lot of those individuals who needed that kind of nurturing and also that support. And she, after she left the university, after she left that university, she moved to Birmingham and I just reached out to her on social media about two years ago and said, hey, I see you're in town. I'd love to get together with you. And she came by the office. And if you spend any time with her, you realize her electric personality and her care and her is great. And we just started talking and communicating. And then, um, you know, she's got some really good things coming. And she is she is somebody that we need to listen to. She comes at it from a perspective of um, how do we – establish the proper fundamentals of learning and care and love and what we do. And so being a fan of the show, it's kind of surreal, but then to spend some time with her and to communicate with her. And she actually lives probably about a mile and a half for me now. Um, and you know, she's, she's, she's done well. They're, they're doing a show on her life, um, with Courtney Cox, who's on friends, um, and who's actually a Birmingham native as well. And so, um, you know, it's going to be really cool to watch, but she's, you know, I think anybody who has kids who's had to do, who helps their kids in homework or establishes the proper fundamentals and guidelines, follow Brittany, um, listen to that podcast, watch our video cast that we did. She has a tremendous insight of what she's doing. She understands it from a teaching perspective, but she also understands it from a administrative level. So she's so, great. Yeah. I love the way she was, you know, she was talking about creating uh, the schedule for a kid is like we were creating it runs in you know it was it was our schedule not not her schedule do you know what i mean so yeah. it was, uh, but you know that was it, nice but that's the the thing about that too is i always tell pl- coaches you know particularly in golf where you have people who are going to establish their own schedule right you know I, i've seen for a long time people will say oh you have to work out first thing in the morning like a sign of mental strength why i mean when i played baseball we worked out at seven o'clock at night 
Well, that was when we played most of our games. So we didn't, there was no mental toughness to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to exercise. I mean, if you, if you function better late at night, create a schedule that works for you. And I always encourage my players in golf at any age to develop their own practice schedule. And I find that what happens when they develop it, they have greater ownership of it. And when they have greater ownership of it, they have better application of it and better execution of it. And so then they start looking at it. Now, we all need accountability because we're going to eliminate the things that we don't want to do that makes it hard for us. I had a player yesterday I was working with on the putting green. And he said, you know, I I do that putting drill that you give me. It it frustrates me, but I, I usually don't do it as much when I'm not feeling really confident. And I said, ooh. I said, that's a bad move. I said, you need to do that drill when you don't feel confident, but you need to learn. And what we did was, and, I, and something that I realized a while back, you know, putting and, and having been around the aim point guys for a long time, um, the, the putting to a hole is an absence. Okay, so you're, you're putting to make a ball disappear. That's hard for the mind to see, okay? If you think about it, it's, um, it's a concept called object permanence that in the mind as a young toddler, when you're first a, when babies and you remove something from a baby's field of view, they really think the object leaves to get altogether. And then at one point during the development, they realize that you move the building blocks behind the car and they realize it's still there, but it's just not in their field of view. Well, to me, the hole is the same thing. The ball disappears. We know it's in there, but if I put a, if I put a, if I put a towel in the hole, Now, all of a sudden, putting execution goes through the roof. People perform at a much greater rate, okay? They they execute, and you could do this with your crew, and and I think we should teach all juniors to putt with something in the hole, like raise the cup up. It's much easier, and you have success, and you gain confidence. So I had this player. I said, look, you're struggling with your putting. Instead of beating yourself up, let's create a better structure and better accountability, and let's put a towel in the hole. And he goes around the putting drill, no problem. Then he says, you know what? I'm going to go get my putting, my um, alignment rod, and he puts it in the hole. And he goes through, and he starts making putts like nonstop from 12 feet. And I said, so what does that teach you? And he said, I need to putt with the flag in the hole. I said, absolutely you do. You putt to an object. I said, there are some players that can see that aim point object outside the hole. Some players can't. They just simply can't see it. Like in their mind, they can't create that image. I said, if I, put a, if I put a golf cart on the range and you're hitting wedges, he said, oh, I'd hit it nonstop. I said, all right, so when you're hitting a driver, <clears throat> what do you do? And w- what we realized by having this conversation and letting him lead the structure of it and me just asking questions was he said, you know, I'm good with my irons because I see shapes. My driver, I've been trying to hit it straight. I can't see it. So what we did is we went on the range and we picked targets out on the horizon and we said, play it off of that one to that one. And he went out and played after that. And he said, I didn't miss, a, I didn't miss, I hit 14 fairways. And, you know, what, it's that adaptation. And I think in golf, I think a lot of times back to kind of Brittany's point is let people create the schedule that works for them. I do all of my writing at Starbucks. I do all my writing with headphones in my ears. I listen to rock and roll, usually something that's higher speed and faster. Um, and, and the reason I do that is that it helps me focus I can't think in a quiet room. I need noise and interaction and distraction to think. And so we've got to embrace people's individuality and find their psychological fingerprint rather than assuming that everybody's going to fit into the box that we think like. 
that's the mistake that coaches make is we, we coach people like we like to be coached and we gotta, we gotta start coaching the player. Totally. No, that's fascinating. Going back to the, uh, the towel in the hole and the flag stick, because people will ask, you know, should you use a, fl- put, keep put with the flat stick, uh, the flag stick in or out. And, yeah. you know, is it like, is it because it'll bounce out or not, but I've not thought about it too much about as a sort of, targeting strategy so that's that's fascinating and you know it's it's interesting is if you ask people how you like to see things there are some people who see the conflict of the stick and Mm. for them they can see the back edge of the hole or the front it they can visualize it beautifully they don't need the stick there Mm. and with the rna and the usga coming out with the rules that allows you to leave the stick in the hole i always find it interesting when we make uniform statements i mean it's what we do in our societies right we make all or nothing statements. Everybody should take the, the flag out or everybody should put it in. <clears throat> How about we embrace everybody's individuality? Realize that you and I have different backgrounds. You and I have different ways of seeing things. Some of us in, in the field of psychology in the next 10 years is going to move much more into neurocognition, the way we process and, and manage information than we do now. You know, we assume, you know, a player looks at a, you know, how many putters do you have that look down and they think that their putter looks closed and it's right on the target. Other people look at the same thing. They think it looks open. That's brain. That's the way the brain processes information. Some of your players, some of its perception, but you, you got to remember the brain has so it, it has so many different levels of processing. So we're, we're reading cues. We're seeing things that elicit very quick unconscious memories that we've had in the past. So the brain wants to look for commonalities and and sequencing from things in the past. So, you know, if we have a, think about if you go to a restaurant and you have a steak, you automatically deep down remember the steaks you've had in the past that were great. Then you remember the ones that were great from that restaurant. And then you tend to remember the friendships and all the other stuff. Excuse me. So when you look at things, you know, you look down and so the brain's processing information. And it's it's a combination between your visual processing centers um, your cerebellum, which deals with your balance, um, your memory systems, your hippocampus, your amygdala, which is your emotional systems, all those interact. So, you know, we know from other sports that if you, if you take a football or, uh, football or soccer player on the pitch, okay, there are certain athletes that run to where the ball is going and they always have that ability to catch it in stride. Like, and, and when they're passing it and they're lobbing it forward, some of them are just brilliant for the right velocity of the ball to catch that other person. And then others aren't very good at it, right? But maybe they're more defenders because they see better angles running backwards. That's processing information. And usually what happens in team sports is people who process one way tend to get selected into other, other positions. So a goalie is probably brilliant. The best goalies are brilliant at seeing angles. All right. They jump to a spot. They're not actually, they, their mind is reading the ball, but they're predicting where it's going in the net, right? Guys that aren't good at that, guys and girls that aren't good at aren't playing goalie anymore. <laughs> they're doing something else, right? Um, and we know from other sports, well, in golf, how do they see angles? You know, I, one of the biggest problems that I see with young players is they become too dependent upon their yardage finder. Okay. Because if they say, you know, it's 155 yards or 140 meters, whatever the conversion is to the hole, 
they're not thinking where they want it to land to roll out to that spot. Okay. They're going, Oh, 155 yards. I'm going to hit a 150 yard shot, 155 yard shot. Well, when, if I take a player out and say, I don't, I want you to see the yardage and figure it out on your own. They start collecting more information. And it's one thing that I've noticed with my tour players is, uh, and a couple of them had some major breakthroughs is I said, when you play by yourself, and you go out on the golf course and you're in the golf cart, what do you do? And they said, well, I shoot the yardage. I see where I want it to land. I pick a club and I go. And I said, but why on tour are you getting five yardages? Cover. The, you're getting way too much information. And, you're, and we're going to simplify it. So it's understanding. But then I have other players who, you know, they can, they've got a brilliant mind to be able to collect all that information and make a decision. So it's, it's having that conversation with each player to understand what their brain needs and how they function. And the only way we do that as a coach without the high level assessments is talking to them, asking them questions and figuring out, Hey, tell me what you see when you make those putts. I'll give you an example. Brendan Todd about two years ago came in to do some work with me. Brendan is playing great this year. Um, his team is brilliant. And I asked him, he's a brilliant putter. I said, what do you look at when you putt? He goes, nothing. I said, do you not see the aim point? No. He says, I just, I can see the angles naturally. Like I already can see how the ball's going to break. And once I get the information, I can just feel it. Well, he wasn't born that way. He was developed over time that way. His brain probably sees information pretty good that way, right? Um, and so when he putts, though, if he gets too much information in his head, now he's naturally processing the information, but it's what it goes into execution, and he's at a very high level. I've got another player who's going through a swing change, and when his mind is focused on his upper body movements, it's a disaster. When his mind is focused on lower body stability, his upper body goes exactly where it needs to go. And so, you know, when I was talking to his coach, who's a high level coach, and we were talking about it, I said, you know, you need to really focus on his lower body stability and then have him communicate back what you think he needs to do. Make it put in his terms. Once we did that, it just, it became flawless. Because instead, this guy was a high compliance person. He wanted to do it right. But he also had very high awareness of where his upper body limbs are out in space. And he, would, he knew if it was 1% or 2% off, 1% or 2 degrees off, very little. But he would then, it would almost create a blockage versus the freedom to naturally you know, correct. Like if you and I were taking a step outside of our, our house and we misstepped and rolled our ankle, we don't think we did it wrong we just we we embrace the fact that we didn't fall right in the golf swing yeah. you know players say like in putting oh i felt like i took that club that put that putter too far on the outside that time but you still hit it solid like that's the brain doing its job it recorrect it corrected it no it's fascinating i think um you know what you've do- been talking a lot about there is visualization some like of it. You, haven't, yep. you haven't called it visualization, but it's, it's probably a lot deeper than sort of my knowledge of visualization. But um, I, I see it as a, a huge, important life skill, not alone just for, for putting or for golf visualization. Mm-hmm. Would you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge believer of visualization. Um, it helped me a lot in my career. Um, and it was something that I turned to to see what I wanted to do. The mind doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. Um, so if, if you doubt that, 
talk to anybody who's afraid to fly, they will imagine the plane is crashing and have the anxiety of it. Okay. Um, so we're creating it and our body responds to it. Um, visualization is about seeing how we manage the uncertainty and we have constant uncertainty throughout our entire uh, experience. So we're seeing that uncertainty. And so visualization is how am I going to approach it? How am I going to face it? How am I going to work through it? How am I going to you know, work in that environment? Um, what I love about visualization is I want people to tell me how they do it. Tell me, and, and to me, so I believe that in execution, we have our focus works like a funnel. Okay, so let me explain. When I'm going to step into a putt, I'll give you an example right now. Personally for me, my putting is not where I want it to be. I recently switched putters because I needed something new. Okay. Um, I'm excited about it. Um, but I felt like when I got over the ball, I had way too many thoughts in my head. And as a result, I've been struggling. So what happens is great competition, great execution works before we hit the shot while we're walking the fairway, talking, collecting information, our mind should be wide open. We're naturally collecting information, right? We're looking at the yardage. We're looking at the, uh, or the distance. We're looking at the slopes. We're thinking about, man, I'm hungry. What time is it? Oh, the wind, man, I'm four under. Okay. All those are thoughts in our head. Thoughts aren't bad thoughts. Thoughts are thoughts. When we assign meaning to them, they become either good or bad. And if we are freaked out by them, we call them negative thoughts. Like, oh my God, don't think that way. Like a player who's, you know, hits it close on a par five and two. And it's like, oh, don't three putt. Okay, well, that's not a bad thought. It's just a thought. And most people go, oh, don't think that way. Well, now you just told your mind, hey, idiot, that's a really bad thing to three putt. And hey, idiot, I'm going to bring more negative thoughts. What are people going to think if I three putt? Oh my God, I have to go in afterwards with my beer and tell everybody I three putt at a par five. Okay. The better thing to do is from that funnel is just say, yeah, I don't want to three putt at it, but I do want to make it. Okay. So the first step is awareness. What are you feeling? And being, and being honest and aware of what's going on, kind of the, the Buddhist uh, mentality of be where your feet are. Just what's going on right now. Okay. What's up? Yep. I'm having a lot of negative thoughts. I've got a tough putt. Okay. Well, don't judge them. Just acknowledge I'm having a lot of negative thoughts. Okay. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to read the putt and you start forming a strategy. Aim point. What I love about aim point is aim point gives me a strategy. It gives me a, you know, a, a process by which I go through my decision-making tree. Okay. And then in that it goes into visualization. I see the execution that I want and we go to execution. Now, here's the problem. That's ideal, wide to narrow. And we do that 75 times around, right? Okay. Yep. The, the problem is we don't actually go from wide to narrow mostly. What happens is we actually go from narrow to wide. We're out on the golf course and a negative thought pops in our head. We've had a bad hole. Like me with my putter, I've got too many thoughts in my head. The awareness goes, hey, dude, bad thought here you're in trouble. If you don't make this putt or people are going to laugh at you, you've hit it to six feet. You better hit a good putt. Don't miss it left. Like you always miss it. These are the thoughts that are in my head. I tend to pull the putt a little bit. And so, you know, I start thinking about it. Oh my God. Okay. 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 Um, and then I want to hurry up in my strategies because now my focus is locked in on that negative. So instead of being wide, it's very, it, that's the danger. 
The strategy is how not to make a mistake, how not to experience the pain that I'm fearing. I don't visualize. And then by the time I get over the ball, I got 47 thoughts in my head, right? So what I want players to do is visualization is a great key, but it's to use the funnels, like take a step back, relax. And, and one of the things that I've had to do with my putter is I've had to step back and say, okay, look, who cares? I'm going to make a great pass at it. I feel comfortable with what I'm doing. Sunday morning, I went out there and I realized that if I, uh, you're a putting guru, if I close my stance just a little bit, I never miss my target. I hit a solid putt and I don't pull it. Okay. Now it's funny when I'm pitching and chipping, I drop my left foot almost back to my right heel and I have complete movement and freedom to bounce the club however I want. But in putting, if I just do a little bit, if I put my right toes just inside the toes of my left foot, I make a such a good pass at the ball and I don't pull it. And I rarely leave the club face open trying to guide it. Right. I feel like I I don't, I don't know why you're the putting guru, but you know, there's something there that makes me feel comfortable. Okay. Yeah. So that's allowing my funnel to do this. And I started, you know, I switched to a putter that has one of those, it's a odyssey. So it has one of those inserts. Mm -hmm. So my speed has been a little off because I've never putted with an insert. Okay. So it deadens just a little bit. So I I hit some brilliant putts this week that ended up like two, two inches short. I'll figure it out, but I love what it's doing. So now my mind is quieting. And what I like about this putter, I don't have to think about it. It stays square. It's one of those triple tracks. I'm I'm not sponsored by Odyssey. It's one of those triple (laughs) tracks. I don't have to worry about the aim. I just, it's good enough. So that's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how you've, uh, you know, you found the best way for you to quieten your mind. Mm-hmm. And that's very, in, very individual. Like that, that, t- the, that advice you've just, or g- you've given yourself, if you give that to someone else, subscribe that to someone else, that could really mess them up, right? Well, you know, I think, I think the, the thing is great players are not afraid to trial and error. Mm-hmm. See, I think the genius of great players is that they're willing to find it their way. They're going to take the foundation of coaching, but they're going to put it in their terminology. That's why it's always so important for coaches to say, what do you repeat it back to me the way in your language? And a lot of times I see coaches like, no, 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 that's wrong. No. Who cares if they're describing it a little wrong? Like, Mm -hmm. think about this in the full swing. If I tell you, and I'll give you an example. One of my dear friends is Mark Blackburn, who's, top instructor. Okay. Mark has got all the information in the world. He's got the, you know, London a hole in him. He's, you know, will be very honest to a fault. And he and I are dear friends and we room together on the road. So he'll, he'll, he'll say it even harsher to me, but I was struggling with my swing one day. I've got an artificial left hip. So I I like my feet a little bit different. And he comes in and he goes, Hey, I'm a fix you. But before we get started, I want you to put on this K vest and I've got to go do a meeting at the clubhouse. I'll be back in 30 minutes, but you got to feel it in this spot. He goes, I want you to feel like your head at contact is behind the ball because I have a tendency to get moving too fast and get ahead of it and get steep. Okay. okay. And so I sat there and I tried to hit shots with my head falling back and I, it was terrible. Okay. I mean, I was falling out of every shot, but I, I went, okay, what is he trying to get me to do? He's trying to keep this side behind the ball in theory. So I played with it for a little while. I used the K vest that was giving me the feedback 
and I ended up started hitting it beautifully with the exact way I wanted to. And I texted him. I said, I'm leaving. He goes, you figured it out, didn't you? I said, yeah. He said, what did you figure out? I said, if I feel like I lead with the hands, the clubhouse, the club, the, the grip, it's not a pull and drag. It's if I feel like I'm leading with that, it mm-hmm. keeps, and he goes, perfect. You put it in your terms. Good. Send me a video tomorrow. And let me know how it is. The head was not, didn't work for me. As a former baseball player, you can't tell me where my elbow is. I can't feel my elbow, but I can feel my hands very easily. So I can tell you in the backswing where my hands are because as a baseball pitcher, I've, I did that for 20 years. Mm. Okay. We never focused on the elbow. But, you know, when some golfers, coaches tell me to keep my elbow tucked, I don't know what that means. Like I can't, I don't have that awareness. But if you tell me, hey, look, the thumb has to point in this direction. Oh, I got that. Yeah, like I can do that all, you know, all day long. And so I give Mark a lot of credit because he's like, figure it out. Well, I had the chipping yips. And I went to him and he gave me all the right way to do it. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Like, I'm like, you, you suck. You're a terrible coach. And I bought a orange whip wedge trainer. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, we've got one at Ross. They're great. Yeah. And I went over there and I was like, if I can do it with this thing, I can do it in anything. Well, what I ended up doing, it was setting up like he told me to set up, gripping the club like he told me to grip the club. I played with it a little bit. And now I'll chip with anybody. I'll chip with my tour players. And, but I had to go, I had to trial and error it. And see, I think as coaches, we need to encourage our players to make it their own Mm. and trial and error versus, oh God, that's wrong. No, let them work through it. It may be wrong at first, but they're going to like take them through that process a little bit. Would you say that, um, obviously you're talking about tall players that trial and error, and I, and I totally agree with you. Is it exactly the same process for, you know, a beginner golfer or a junior golfer or a, or a 28 handicap golfer? In your um, yeah, you know, I think, I think anytime that we allow people to find their own way, we're better. It's kind of like riding a bike. You can't tell somebody how to ride a bicycle. The only way you do is you get on it. Totally. Yeah, my daughter's uh, nearly three, and she's uh, she's on the bike uh, trying to uh, trying to learn at the moment. Yeah, so that's quite good. Good fun. That's good fun. Okay. Hey, I got uh, I got a laugh. I just got a text while we were talking from one of my players that yeah. do you follow on Twitter, Club Pro Guy. Yeah. He just re- he just responded to one of my tweets, and my player said, "You are now a legend. I've made it. I've arrived." You are now a, a social media uh, legend. Yes, that's uh, awesome. What has he said? I, I put out a tweet last night and I said, no one can stop you from improving. Simply cannot be done. And he replied, agree to disagree. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a funny, uh, he's a funny one on Twitter. Yes, uh, he is. <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's, that's really good. Can you, um, can you help me a little bit, Brett, with yes. uh, how golfers deal with messing up so let's say they've they've gotten the first green and they've three putted the first green or four putted it and they're angry they're pissed Mm -hmm. off as they should be yeah in many ways how what's the best way for them to or everyone's individual as well i'm guessing you're going to say that i'm thinking but you know how how do they stand on to the next tee forgetting what's just happened how do you forget something bad that happened can't yeah okay (laughs) 
I'll give you a graphic example. You ever see a dog get hit by a car? You can't get that thought out of your head. You know, okay. It happens a little bit more in the United States, evidently. Um, <laughs> but, but you see something bad, you see a car accident or you see something you don't yeah. want to see it yeah, imprints. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We can't sure. not think about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the better thing to do and what I tell players is we all manage them. Like, don't, don't ever tell somebody to suppress emotion and forget about it or calm down. That crap doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like you ever have somebody who's having, who's hyperventilating and just say, calm down. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Or your daughter's crying and you're like, calm down. I'm trying. No, let it rip. It makes it worse. Yeah. It makes it work. Let it rip. Okay. So I tell players, you got to let the emotion out. So, mm-hmm. but you got to do it appropriately. So some people naturally get emotion out by just focusing on it. Like, okay, let's go through the process of what happened. You just royally screwed up, but let's not make long-term decisions, long-term consequences, long-term judgments. You screwed up a whole. It didn't mean all the practice you've done has gone for naught. It doesn't mean that you're the biggest loser in the world. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. What it means is you made a mistake. Okay. The game is full of mistakes. Okay. So let's process it. We can evaluate it. One of the most powerful skills is write it down and say, I'll deal with it later. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, take a step back. And then what I tell players to say, okay, look, remember the funnel? If we're still stuck on that other thing, our funnel is going to be like that. So let's accept the fact that I'm really ticked off right now. Let's accept the fact that I need to focus on what's the best thing I can do right now. We need to focus on the process of what I'm going about doing and so on. And how good can you be when you're frustrated? Well, we can use that arousal to help us play better but let's make disciplined decisions. And so I had a bad hole on Saturday and I was frustrated. I went up to a a hole that I should never hit driver on. And as as I'm pulling up, I'm like, I'm gonna get up and hit driver. And I stopped myself and I went, wait, why compound the errors? That hole is done. The challenge is to win this hole. Now we got to know how our body feels. Our body may feel a little bit more amped up. So what I did is I went down an extra club instead of hitting my driving iron, I went to one that had a little bit more loft on it that allow me to make a little bit more of a mistake. And I actually birdied the hole, the hardest hole in the golf course. And the, the brilliance of it was I was so proud of myself because I focused on that. I embraced the fact and then turned it. It's a great bit Adjusted. of advice we had from uh, one of the podcasts from Simon Dyson, which was a BBA, which is bounce back ability. hundred like percent. Right. And here's the thing is golfers, the bounce back may take two or three holes. You may have to manage. It's like when it's pouring down rain, it doesn't automatically dry up. Sometimes you have to deal with the ball skipping off the green on a hole. But by the next hole, it's already, uh, you know, relaxed. But don't mm-hmm. think we're automatically going to get right back on the, on the horse. Don't think that automatically. Just because sometimes the game is hard. The question is, how mentally flexible can you be? I want you to stand in the storm. I want you to work through it and, and focus on that. Like you may have a day where the greens, like one of my dear friends is a brilliant putter this past weekend. One of the days he just couldn't mentally get the speeds of the putts down. Okay. It it happens. It happens. I mean, you pour a cold one. Sometimes it just doesn't taste good. doesn't matter how many you (laughs) pour. Right. And other times it's like, as you said, before we went on, it's like, Oh, this is the best tasting one I've ever had. Right. 
you know, sometimes a cup of coffee for me in the morning is tastes great. And sometimes it's just a cup of coffee. Yep. So it's, yeah. embrace the moment that you're in. So I, I just want to go into, um, or, or stay where we, where we're talking about the funnel. And you talk about coming into the funnel by obviously doing your reading the green, being specific with your target, then visualizing coming into this tunnel. And then what you found in, in your technique is to, that stand the way you stand that helps you quieten down your mind. Have you got any tips for the listeners? I say tips, any advice for the listeners to help them quieten down their mind, either using their senses or placing attention elsewhere? It's a great, great question. I think the main thing is to just be present with what you're thinking without judging it. Look, that's all we have to do. When we're angry, the emotions usually hyperseconds. It's when we start compounding it that becomes the issue. We're better to just be present with our thoughts. Like, it's okay to say, I am having a terrible thinking day. Or, I am really struggling focusing today. Ain't nothing wrong with that. That's honest. But where we get in trouble is we go, why do I always struggle with this? Why do I can't, why can't I think? Why do I always, that's not about the thought. That's judging yourself now. So if we can remove judgment from our thinking process, wow, we can be good. Oh my gosh, we can be good. And I think that's the brilliance of it is if we can just say, um, you know, I, I think, I think the, the gorgeous nature of our human mind is to be flexible. We take in so much more information than we ever process. Our mind doesn't bring things to the consciousness, usually unless it's something what we really, really want or it has any kind of threat associated with it, okay? The more that we can accept it, just be present with it, to sit in it, be a part of it, the better we're going to be. And, and I always tell players, like, it's okay to say I'm struggling today. Like, that's not a sign of weakness. That's actually a sign of strength to say, you know, this is a tough day. I really had a tough day out there today. I really struggled to get the, okay, here's the deal. Eat some lunch, go home. Wake up the next day and it's a new day. That it only continues if you invite it to continue. You know, there are some days I wake up, I can't focus. There are some days my focus is like a laser. <laughs> I can't predict it of what I'm eating, what I'm sleeping, you know, things like that. No, totally. Life isn't perfect, right? And we, no. we sometimes try and be perfectionists, but... It's going to be good some days, okay some days, and that's life. Let's talk about perfectionism for a minute. It's something that we all hold on sure. to because it's actually pretty good until it's not. Perfectionism is the fact that you don't believe that you can face the uncertainty before you. That's all that means. So we try to exert all of our control to control each factor behind it. But you know what we're really good at? We are remarkable people at adjusting and adapting to ever-changing environments. Let's embrace that. Let's learn to embrace that. And, and be a rock star with it. That's a, uh, that's a big one. I like that quote. Just digesting yeah. that. Uh, that's a, yeah, it's a good one. Thank yeah. you. So, Brett, make percentages. So like a 10-foot putt, tall players hold not many. Three-foot, they hold a lot more. But mentally especially for amateur golfers. So I say especially for amateur golfers, but maybe you can share a tour bit. A, a three-foot putt is 
10 times more scary than a 10 foot putt. We stand mm-hmm. on a 10 foot putt and we're, we're, we're sort of quite carefree, you know, yeah. we're not, we're not careless, but we're, we're kind of carefree. We're kind of like, Oh, if it goes in great, if it doesn't fire, you know, no problem. But three footer mentally, you're like that noise in your head increases. Why is that? Well, it's because we think we should make it and we define success as making it. And there's really no gain. There's nothing we gain from making it. We don't look at it and go, Oh, three footers are hard. I make, I'm better at three footers than everybody else because on the PGA tour, 99 or 98.7% of three footers footers are hold. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, come on. It's easy. It's not that hard, but we actually have to be better at the easy things than we are at the hard things. And so if you can look at it and say, most people struggle here, a three footer is about execute. It's about gaining it. If you can own the three footers and say, you know what? I can be the best at three footers than anybody else. Then we have a chance to be successful. And, okay. and I try to get, but yet where am I struggling as a putter? That's where I'm struggling. I'm struggling from the three to six foot range. I know I'm better than that. That's the problem. I know I've had golf coaches look at it. They're like, your read looks good. Your putt looks good. So then it's a mental thing. Well, if I treat myself, I'm an idiot, but I've got to just push through it. Later today, I'm going to go out there with a towel in the hole. I'm going to hit a lot of putts to a towel in the hole just to gain that confidence again. And you know, like I know, if I just stick with it and don't go changing everything, I'll gain more and more confidence over that three-footer and it'll be great. Uh, okay, Brett, can you just um, just share with us your online programs, um, your podcasts, talk us a little bit about what's sure. going on in, in your life and, and the new new app and the new things that are going on. Yeah, uh, yeah thank you. I'm so excited about this. So, you further. Yeah, so I started a process during COVID called the Catalyst School. And being a catalyst is the person who's responsible for sparking the growth and development of another human being. And what I wanted to do was bring a platform together that allows coaches from every different sport known to mankind, business world, leadership, teaching, everything, and bring a one-stop shop for them. And so what we did is we have two things. We have the masterclass, which is like a 14-video series, which is on demand as you need it to learn the skills and the foundations of being a catalyst. But the thing that I'm most pumped about was we took a a process that I learned from a buddy of mine and we do once a week live trainings for an hour. Like tonight we have one. Um, It's on self-doubt as a coach, how to manage your own self-doubt. And we get on for an hour each week um, and we do live training. And it's content and things that I've learned across multiple different perspectives. It's under $20 a month, which I mean, that's ridiculously cheap for live trainings. The, then we also have part of that live group, we call it Catalyst School Live, is we have um, conversations with where we bring in experts across different domains. We'll have social media, we'll have race relations, we'll have coaching, physiology and all that. And we'll have a, a situation where it's a conversation. It's like a podcast, but it'll be question and answers to bring the expert in. And the brilliance of that is what I've told our guests that have done it so far is these are questions that people may be afraid to ask in other settings, but we're going to ask them. We're going to ask the hard questions. We may cross the line. We may say, look, I don't agree with you, but I need more. Um, and uh, go from there. Because I think that that's the brilliance of being a coach is that we need more resources to help us be better, to help our players. 
we can't assume that we know all the answers. We need to use, great coaches have a library of information. And what I want to do is bring that into a place where it's a one-stop shop and do it in a way that is so inexpensive that no golf coach cannot, or no teacher, no coach cannot not afford it. $20. Everybody has $20. Okay. Um, And I want to get it to a spot where we have two to 5,000 people on the calls because what I also, my vision is to start creating subgroups and sub teachings. I've already had teachers and coaches start connecting offline that are from multiple sports to start sharing ideas. That's the community of coaching that I want. I want golf coaches talking to football coaches. I want soccer coaches talking to basketball coaches. I want swimming coaches talking to dance coaches because where we coach is just what we, the type of coach we call ourselves. The fact is we're all humans helping other humans achieve their greatness, success and helping them push through their, their doubts, their fears and achieve their potentials. And that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Sounds uh, super exciting, Brett. And uh, for me as a coach, that sounds uh, right on my street. So I'll certainly check out yeah, uh, some do. more of that. Tell us yeah. about your podcast as well for, for these guys. Yeah. Off. Yeah. So I've had a podcast for about four years now. It's called the secrets to winning where, um, you know, we, we talk to individuals about what it takes to overcome and, and persevere and win the challenge they're in. And, um, across a lot of genres, it's not golf specific. It's really not even sports specific. Um, it's about winning at life, winning at challenge. Um, you can find that out at my website at brettmccabe.com. That's B-H-R-E-T-T-M-C-C-A-B-E.com. Brilliant. Great stuff. And same, uh, we'll find you on all the social media platforms as well, right? At same Dr. Name. Brett McCabe. Yep. Brilliant. That's great. Brett, I really appreciate your time. Thank um, you, sir. Can you just give us one bit of advice for uh, a, a younger you or like <laughs> somewhat for yourself, like 10 years ago, what one bit of advice would you give yourself like from 10 years ago? It'll take longer than you think to achieve a goal that you're never going to reach, but the successes that you face along the way and the successes that you achieve accumulate much greater than you ever believed that you could do 10 years ago.